Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for January 18th, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, Recognizing Jesus Without Clamor, Serving Jesus Without Pretension. to chick flicks, courtroom dramas, and sad, sad stories. I either want to laugh or cry, preferably both, but I do not want to be afraid or tense or caught in any web of suspense, nor do I want to see anyone get beat up or tortured. I also don't do fantasy or science fiction, so as you can imagine, there are not very many movies for me to see. And the ones I want to watch, none of the three boys that live at my house want to see. (laughs) But there are some movies that I feel compelled to see. Selma was one of those movies. You should feel compelled to see it too. I'm glad we saw it as a family. We had great conversation afterwards. I was struck by how far we have come. It won't be a surprise to you. We have a black president of the United States of America. In 1965, as Martin Luther King Jr. led thousands of people across that bridge in Selma headed towards Montgomery to call attention to the voting rights of all people, I wonder if he could have really believed that in some ways more than his dream would come true in his own lifetime had he lived his whole life. My sons have no idea how far we've come. It should be celebrated that mistakes and oppression and discrimination have given way to a better society where racism is not as blatant. We have a black president. We drink from the same water fountain no matter the color of our skin. But I also left the movie struck by how far we have yet to go and how racism is still very much alive and well as much as things have changed, way too much has stayed the same, even with a black president. And as I have watched the people, and as I watched the people march from Selma to Montgomery, black and white, young and old, clergy and laity, my brain could hardly distinguish the scene from what I've watched on TV recently in the marches in Ferguson and New York City and even right here in Charlotte. I found myself wondering where I would have been if I had been a pastor in the 60s. Would I have gone to Selma when King made his call for folks to come? I didn't go to Ferguson. I didn't go to New York City. Russ did go and march in Charlotte if his feet can count for mine. They can't, by the way. How far we have come. 
how far we have to go. We are still very much in need of healing, both individually and as a nation. Lucky for us then, on this MLK weekend, we learned that Jesus' mission, his very first acts of ministry, put him right in the healing business. The Gospel of Mark cuts to the chase. No birth narrative, no preteen Jesus lost in Jerusalem, just a baptism, some time in the wilderness, and then Mark gets right to it with a brief introduction where Jesus defines his ministry that the kingdom of God is near. Repent, believe the good news, and follow. Then he calls his first disciples, and immediately he launches into his main mission. On the surface... It looks like he's going to be an awesome faith healer and demon exorcist. But those were a dime a dozen in the ancient world. And that is but the surface of the story. We've clumped these three vignettes together. A man in the synagogue possessed by a demon with a demon that recognizes Jesus when others around him do not yet know who he is. Next, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever, and then a leper who believed that Jesus could heal him if Jesus chose to do so. This was his mission, to bring healing and wholeness to all of our broken places. If we believe what we claim, Healing will be our mission as well. Now, we are so easily distracted by these kinds of stories when we take them at face value, especially the healing stories. We so often miss the point of these accounts because we feel such a need to either reject what seems like a tall tale or we have such a need to believe them literally even though they go against everything we know about modern medicine. But let's dig deeper than either of these polarities will allow and see if we can get to the heart of Jesus' mission. Because if we can do that, then maybe we will leave here with a better understanding of our own mission in Jesus' name. One commentary that I read was very helpful. He says, it helps us to understand being possessed in a way that will make us wonder if we need to have a little exorcism ourselves. This series of miracles that Mark narrates up front describes for us this kingdom of God and what it looks like. And right up front, Mark describes Jesus as an exorcist. Jesus now comes to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God on earth and he does this by opposing the forces of evil which would rob the children of God of all that God hopes and intends for them. This commentator says this, seen this way, I have to admit that not only is possession not quite as foreign an event as I might have thought, but that I actually have firsthand experience with it. Now, I'm just reading what the commentator says. I'm sure I don't have this. He says, I have, that is, on occasion, 
been possessed by anger at a colleague or family member that has led me to say and do things that I regret. Now that's him, not me. <laughs> Have you ever been possessed by that kind of anger? This poor soul of a commentator goes on to say, I have been possessed by jealousy and envy that have led me to use my resources in ways that I regret. Huh, that doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> but here's where he's going to go to meddling. This is what he says. I didn't say this. I guess what our people need to know is that this is their experience as well. And he takes note that the man in question with the demon was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. How many exorcisms could we perform right here, right now? What possesses you? in ways that are unhealthy and unclean. He says, further, for some of them, I'm going to go ahead and change the pronouns. For some of you, the experience of possession is even greater and more damaging than what has already been described in anger and jealousy. Some have felt possessed by addictions to alcohol, drugs, gambling, pornography. Or maybe it's a hidden, more pervasive prejudice that keeps us captive. Or maybe you've been possessed by more society-approved, unclean spirits, like workaholism, affluenza, Greed. I'm convinced that most people in our country are possessed by fear. And we need an exorcism about that. Last week on CNN, I finally turned it off after the report about a subway. I think it was in Washington, D.C., you may remember. The subway filled with smoke. It was terrifying. They had every right to be afraid in that moment. But it, it was noted that the response time of the responders was fairly lengthy. And the reporter, I think it was Erin Burnett, ended her segment with something like this. Given the amount of time that it took the responders to arrive, we have to wonder, how safe are we really from terrorist attacks? Really? Really? You take your shoes off in the airport and you think you're safer? No. Fear has possessed us. I changed the channel immediately when she said that and watched an old rerun of Friends. <laughs> I highly recommend that as a response when the media fans the flame unnecessarily to cause us to be so afraid of each other. 
We are a people possessed by fear with a media that fans the flame. We need an exorcism about that. So if you put demon possession in this way, we all need to be healed. Governor George Wallace doesn't fare well in the movie Selma. I think it's because the movie might just be a pretty accurate portrayal of him. <laughs> he was possessed by hate, prejudice, and a sense of entitlement that came with his lighter skin tone. But as hard as I can be on him, I can't help but wonder with my own light skin tone, how often am I possessed by fear or apathy or my insatiable desire to not cause a stir and not get an email that we are being too outspoken about something? They weren't stirring things up. Oh, wait a minute, I missed an important sentence. I'm going to put my glasses on. I'm having a hard time seeing. Okay. <laughs> I even made it 14 font because I didn't want 25 pages at 16 font, but okay. <laughs> Rallies and marches are really not my voice. But I was overwhelmed watching the movie with a sense of frustration and I have a blank here because I can't think of the word. It's like, oh, what else were they supposed to do? They weren't stirring things up. They were responding to overt discrimination about basic civil rights with no real voice and no real power. What else was, them, was there for them to do but to march? Perhaps, it dawned on me, when we march, whatever possesses us gets stomped out. I thought of the marches in our country and in our city recently. I wonder if we could learn to march in protest of excessive brutality that takes lives. I wonder if we could learn to march, to speak out and speak up for what is right and true and good and just. I wonder if we could learn to march with the Moral Monday movement. I wonder if we did, would all that possesses us be marched right out of us. A feverish mother-in-law, a leper, a woman, and an outcast, lowest of the low in the social order, and Jesus continues his mission. If we pay attention, there is usually an order to these healing events. Pay attention and see what role or roles you might play in some of these scenarios if you should decide to take Jesus' mission as your own. First, the subject is brought to Jesus' attention, often with the mediation of friends or relatives. Second, Jesus encounters the subject. Sometimes he even talks to him first. Go figure. Third, Jesus responds with touch or with a word. And fourth, the healing is reported and sometimes there's instructions given as well. Ched Myers has written a wonderful commentary about the book of Mark. 
And he says, in order to understand the symbolic dimension of these stories, we must first acknowledge their socioeconomic character. From the very beginning, Jesus the healer experiences the incessant press of the needy masses. It said, if you paid attention in the text, that as soon as they heard about this healing, the whole town crowded at his door, at the door, to be healed. The way Jesus responds to these often destitute subjects, despite opposition, lets us know that he has a preference and a priority for the poor, for the day laborer, illness, unemployment, and instant impoverishment. It's the same today. Not much has changed. Jesus' healing ministry is portrayed as an essential part of his struggle to bring concrete liberation to the oppressed and the marginal in Palestinian society. So how might we as Christians bring concrete liberation to the oppressed and the marginal of an American society? We got an email this week from a church member pressing us for more involvement with issues of poverty. Even more of a push for us in our involvement in the Moral Monday movement in which we have been present, but minimally so. The email offered statistics showing that our legislature's refusal to expand Medicaid to the working poor resulted in between 455 and 1,445 deaths. It also shows that more than 27,000 people with diabetes were unlikely to have been able to afford their medication, and more than 27,000 women could not afford to get a pap smear. As the table showed, the medical expenses will dramatically increase the number of bankruptcies. Another report showed that North Carolina increased its tax inequality last year such that poor individuals are paying a much larger percentage of their income in state and local taxes than are the wealthy. We ought to be marching about that. No matter your thoughts about specific reports and data, no matter your political party, no matter the color of your skin, surely we can all agree that we are in need of healing about the poor. And when Jesus started his ministry, he began with the poor, the outcast, the down and out, figuring that they would be the ones that needed the healing the most. If we take a look at these three stories together, we will see that the central person in the drama is Jesus. That's not surprising. He teaches. He preaches. He travels. I couldn't help but wonder if he marched everywhere he went. He pulls away from the crowd to restore himself. He heals. He exercises a demon. When he goes to work, he puts in a full day. He proclaims and embodies the kingdom of God. That is his mission from the very beginning of his ministry. And in the midst of it, there was a word of secrecy. It's known as the messianic secret. He tries to keep this on the down low. Hush, hush. Quiet if you please. 
But it doesn't work. Word gets out, and that will be part of the reason for his demise, but I'm getting ahead of myself because we're just at the beginning. I was helped in another commentary, commentary that said, by the dramatic healings and by the theme of secrecy, the text draws attention to the unique identity of Jesus himself, calling us to recognize him without clamor and to serve him without pretension. This text calls us to recognize Jesus without clamor, to serve him without pretension. We do not do this well with t-shirts and bumper stickers and coffee mugs and billboards and bracelets that scream about Jesus. How many people have been healed with these marketing strategies? We love to talk about him. We even like minimal service in his name. But have we accepted his mission as our own? I believe a little less clamor about him and a lot more humble service in his memory will lead to more healing and wholeness. And healing and wholeness is something we all desperately need. Maybe we need to march. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.